Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys here today. Hey, you'll see there's a flower up here, beautiful rose. This is in honor of a new little baby named Branston Allen Baker. He was born May 31st, 4.22 p.m. to Jared and Tierra Baker. Jared and Tierra, are you here today? I'll be very impressed and surprised if you were here today. But we'll, uh, we'll keep this couple in our prayers. It's a tiring first week. Um, but uh, praise God for the new life and that they're part of our church family. And, and uh, let's think about them today. If you've got your Bible with you, please open up to uh, John 21. We'll be in verses 18 to 25 today. We are finishing John's gospel today, you guys. Yeah, whoa. <laughs> 91 sermons. 91 sermons in John. So it's been a, a long two and a half years, but uh, in a good way, in a good way. Um, I've loved it and have intentionally gone slowly to try to mine as much as we can. Um, and then next week, uh, probably be doing kind of a review, a little bit of John, and then uh, I'll be on sabbatical. So um, over the past few weeks, uh, we've been reading in the Bible how our God, Jesus Christ, forgives his followers and how he restores his followers and empowers his followers for life and ministry. And Jesus' followers are people just like you and me, right? Um, we are people who trust in Jesus, who uh, believe that he is God, and we've entrusted ourselves to him as Lord and Savior. I'm not assuming everyone in here has done that, but that's what his followers have done. Uh, we are people who, who desire to follow God, to follow Jesus, desire to obey God, um, and... To worship him with our lives. And at the same time, we are people who are prone to sin and prone to wander away from God. One of Jesus' closest disciples was a man named Simon Peter. We've been talking about him the past few weeks. And Simon Peter was a lot like us. Simon Peter was afraid of what people thought of him. Simon Peter was afraid of suffering and of being persecuted for being a Christian. And on Jesus' last night on earth, Peter publicly denied knowing Jesus, and he did this three different times. But when Jesus rose from the dead three days later, he forgave Peter for doing that. He didn't shame Peter, he forgave Peter, and, and Jesus restored Peter. He restored him by, by helping Peter to see his sin and to turn away from his sin. And then Jesus took it a step further, and he empowered Peter. He he empowered Peter to be one of the first pastors of the early church. Uh, that was his plan for Peter's life. Jesus gave him authority and responsibility to spiritually feed and shepherd God's people. So you and I can never thank God and praise God enough for being a, a God who is forgiving and a God who is a restoring God. He takes broken pieces and puts them back together and breathes new life into them. And for being a God who is an empowering God. Because this is the reality. Only Jesus Christ can take the broken pieces of our lives and of our actual spirits and breathe new life into them, give them eternal life. And this is, this is what God does for, for everyone who turns to him in faith and who trusts in him. So thank you, Father and Son and Spirit, for doing this for us. Amen. Um, so as we look at these final verses of John's gospel today, we're going to see now how Jesus 
instructs Peter and all Christians to keep our eyes on Jesus until the day that we die or until the day that Jesus returns from heaven like he said he would. So before we dive into that, let's, let's ask God to help us. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that we can be together to worship you. Um, immediately our thoughts lift up to those in, in London and to those suffering in Europe today, God, that you would be with them and help them and help your church to, to be the, uh, the testimony of your love and your gospel to people in a hurting time. We also pray, Lord, for those on our listed in our bulletin in Thailand who have little or no access to, to hearing about you, Jesus, and we pray that you would um, that you would work in the lives of those who do know you, that you would multiply your kingdom there, however you want to, that you would send people to go there, um, and that your your name would be magnified and glorified among that people group in Thailand. And as we are here today in Stanwood, um, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your graciousness. We thank you for being compassionate and gracious, like the Bible says. Thank you for being slow to anger and abounding in love. Thank you for leaving heaven and coming to earth to die as our substitute, to forgive our sins, and to give us your own righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for doing this. Thank you for giving us eternal life and adopting us into your family. We just ask that uh, as, you, as we open your word, that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit. We need you. Uh, we can do nothing apart from you. You tell us that. So we come to you and ask, Holy Spirit, teach us now. Help us. Help us to turn away from our sinful behaviors and attitudes that don't glorify you. Please give us faith again today in your gospel and your good news and what that means for our lives. Please give us humble hearts that want to love you and that want to love other people the same way that you love us. And we ask that you would protect us from Satan and his devices now. And we offer this time for the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. So I want to read this passage in context because I realize not everybody has been here with us. So we're going to start in John 21, verse 15, and then we'll read through 19 for now. <clears throat> when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I truly, 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 I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. 
So in verses 15 to 17, Jesus restores Peter both as his disciple and also as an important leader in the early church. And Jesus gives Peter this divine authority to oversee and feed and tend to the needs of God's people. Jesus' radical forgiveness and his radical restoration of Peter back to leadership, it may have been pretty surprising to the disciples um, as they watched this happen around that morning campfire on the beach. But lest Peter get a big head about his pastoral authority, Jesus immediately says in verse 18, oh, and by the way, Peter, you're going to die because of this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. So in verse 19, John writes in parentheses, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So when Jesus tells Peter, you will stretch out your hands, another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go, he's telling Peter, you're going to be crucified like I was on account of me. In ancient times, that phrase, stretch out your hands, was a reference to crucifixion. So how do you think Peter felt about all his authority now? You think he still wanted it? I don't know. It doesn't say. My guess is that like many of us, he probably wanted to follow Jesus, but he didn't want to be crucified, right? He didn't want to suffer. Think about this now. Put yourself in his head. Can you imagine having God, Jesus, in the flesh tell you, I tell you the truth, you're going to care for my flock in my absence, and when you're older, at some unspecified time, you're going to be crucified like I was. And then Jesus says, so follow me. The call to leadership in the church and the call to follow Jesus in general is a call to give up the rights to your life. It's a call to instead follow Jesus the way that he describes in his word, his Bible. And this is part of what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. So think about yourself um, as driving a car down the road of life. And when you put your faith in Jesus to save you, you also give Jesus, you give Jesus permission to take control of the steering wheel. That's what it means to follow him. Right? You, as his follower, you don't want to drive aimlessly anymore. You don't want to go where you want to go. You want to go where Jesus wants you to go. And now for most of us, after we let Jesus drive for a little while, we start to feel a little uncomfortable about where he's taking us. And so we start wrestling Jesus for control over the steering wheel. And we, don't, we don't trust that Jesus knows where he's taking us or what he's doing with our lives And even though Jesus encourages us to pray to him and and to work in certain ways, it's wrong for us not to trust Jesus in the driver's seat. And so in order to, to to counter these impulses that want us to kick Jesus out of the driver's seat, we've got to engage in a daily battle against our own lack of faith. And daily, 
we must trust in Jesus. Daily, we must trust the gospel. And we do this through prayer and through telling God, I can't do this on my own. And through submitting ourselves to God, we ask Jesus to fill us with the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can be good passengers in the car who keep our hands to ourselves and trust him to lead us where he wants us to go. And that's, that's hard. Because a lot of time, where Jesus wills for us to go in his sovereign wisdom is not where we want to go in our human wisdom. But Jesus says to us, follow me. I will never leave you or forsake you. If you were Peter, do you think that you would still follow Jesus if you knew that following him meant that you would certainly be crucified? God doesn't tell most of us how we're going to die, but he, he did tell Peter. And Peter was weak in his own flesh, just like you and I are, but, but, uh, but by the grace of God, Peter was strengthened by God daily to follow Jesus by faith and to be faithful to his calling as a shepherd of God's people until the day that he would be crucified. The Bible doesn't talk specifically about the day Peter was crucified, but, but Peter ministered for two or three decades with this death sentence over his head before going to the cross. So if you're a person who tends to struggle with anxiety, can you imagine being Peter? Talk about the potential for anticipatory anxiety. <laughs> When's this going to happen, right? But, <clears throat> but this is what it did. Peter's death sentence, who knows, he may have been worried about it. The Bible doesn't really say much about that. But we do see this, that Peter's death sentence forced him to stay humbly dependent on the Lord for the rest of his life. Okay? He wasn't perfect. We know that. But this death sentence required Peter to believe even more strongly that even though some of us might have to endure excruciating pain and suffering in this life, and some of that's going to be because we follow Jesus, there will be an end, most certainly, to our pain and suffering for the person who trusts in Jesus. Jesus promises this, okay? Jesus promises to bring his children who he's adopted with him to heaven, to live with him for eternity, to experience him forever in the blessedness of his eternal joy, his eternal provision, and his eternal peace. That's why it's a big deal what we make of Jesus. Do we believe that he is who he says he is, and do we believe that he's done what he has said he has done, and do we believe his words? And here in John 21, 19, it's very clear that Peter's persecution and crucifixion wasn't without a purpose. It's interesting. He, uh, we see this parenthetical statement. Peter's death will be the way that, his crucifixion will be the way that Peter glorifies God through death. Okay? Glorifies God. Peter's death magnified the glory of God's name in ways that most of us, well, I don't think any of us can fully understand here and now, but more than likely, Peter's death served as a powerful witness to non-Christians at that time, and it likely served as a powerful catalyst for Christians to continue to spread the gospel all the more, because we know about the early church that the more that people killed Christians, the more the gospel spread. We also know that 
none of the disciples recanted their faith or said they made the, any of this up. And so that only validated the, the truthfulness of Jesus' death and resurrection to people even more. <clears throat> Don't you want to glorify God not only in your life, but also in your death? You ever think about that? And for some of us, as we get older and we're more aware of that coming soon, we're thinking about that more. And for all of us, honestly, it could come at any time. In his book, uh, Don't Waste Your Life, Pastor John Piper has a great chapter called Magnifying Christ Through Pain and Death. So here are a few sentences from that chapter. How can we die so that in our dying, the surpassing value of Christ, the magnitude of his worth, becomes visible? Death, whether by natural causes or by persecution, is a means of making much of Christ. Death makes visible where our treasure is. The way we die reveals the worth of Christ in our hearts. Christ is magnified in my death when I am satisfied with him in my dying. When I experience death as gain because I gain him. When the hour comes for everything to be taken from us but Christ, we will magnify him by saying, in him I have everything and more. To die is gain. If we learn to die like this, we will be then ready to live. The way we honor Christ in death is to treasure Jesus above the gift of life. And the way we honor Christ in life is to treasure Jesus above life's gifts. In today's passage, as Jesus tells Peter to follow him even to death, it appears that Jesus and Peter now have left the other disciples for a few minutes to go for a walk on the beach probably and talk. So let's keep looking in verses 20 and 22. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So as Jesus and Peter were talking, Peter looked back. And he saw John following them. And John was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Peter probably loved him too. And, and after learning his own fate, Peter asked Jesus what John's fate will be. Peter asked Jesus, Lord, what about this man? If I'm going to be crucified, what is John's fate? And Jesus tells Peter, if it's my will that John stays alive until I come back again, then what's it to you? Now, obviously, John wasn't alive when Jesus came back from heaven because Jesus hasn't come back from heaven yet. But Jesus' point to Peter is, Peter, I have told you what I want you to do. And I've told you what you're going to have to endure for the sake of my name. But John is his own person, and I have a different plan for him. So don't worry yourself about what my plan is for John. What I want you to do is to keep your eyes on me and to do what I've told you to do and leave the rest in my hands. 
Or to put it a little more bluntly, mind your own business and you follow me. Okay? And God says the same thing to you and me this morning. Don't worry yourself about what my plan is for other people, God says. You're not in control of their lives anyway. What I want you to do is to keep your eyes on me to do what I've told you to do and to put the rest in my hands. It's a lot easier said than done, right? We're constantly tempted to compare our lives to the lives of other people. We're constantly tempted to think that uh, the key to our happiness is to keep up with our coworkers and our neighbors, to have what they have, to do what they do. We think that'll make us happy. If we're single, then we're tempted to look at couples and see how happy and fulfilled they appear to be, and we want that for ourselves, which is not a bad desire. And if we're married, then we're tempted to look at single people and see how happy and free they appear to be, and we want that for ourselves. Right? And uh, when we go through hardship, I don't. I love being with my wife, by the way. (laughs) I don't do that at all, okay? (laughs) When we go through hardships and illness, um, we're we're tempted to compare our suffering um, and our, our hurting lives to our friends' lives, our strangers' lives, who are healthy and who don't even seem to appreciate their health. And some of us were, were raised in broken homes and situations, hard situations. And some of you right now are living in broken homes and situations. And you might be tempted to look at other people in our church, at your job, in our community, and say, how come God is making my life so hard and their life so easy? Why couldn't God give me a family like that? Why, how come I didn't get to be born into a family like that? How come he didn't give me as much money as they have? And others of us ask, why couldn't God have given me a body like that? Or how come I didn't get genetics like that person who can appear to eat chicken fried steak every day and not be affected at all by it? Um, why didn't God give me a personality like him or her? Why, how come I don't have a brain like him? How come I don't have the gifts that he or she has? Well, according to God's word, God in his perfect wisdom made all of us different. Okay? Out of the billions of people that God has ever made and that he will make and that he made recently, which we have a, a rose here to show, there's only one you, Period. There's only ever been one you. There only ever will be one you. And he didn't put you on earth by accident. He decided where you would be born. He decided who your biological parents would be. He decided where you would be raised. And and so what that means is a room this big full of people represents a whole spectrum of different upbringings and different lifestyles and choices and different mistakes we've made and different blessings in our lives, different circumstances we're going through. And whatever these things have been for you or are for you today, Jesus says this to you. You follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Seek to obey me in the situation which you are in and leave the rest in my hands. And I will be with you. And I will never leave you or forsake you.
and I love you, and I will be with you now and until the moment that I carry you into eternity to be with me forever. That's the words of Jesus, okay? For some of us today, obeying Jesus' command to follow him will mean um, putting our faith in Jesus, maybe for the very first time, asking Jesus to, to be our savior, to forgive us for our sin, to give us eternal life. For some of us, obeying Jesus, uh, his command to follow him will, will mean getting baptized soon. For others of us, obeying Jesus' command to follow him will mean to start reading or listening to the Bible, to one of the Gospels in the Bible, so that we can learn the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. I was so encouraged. I had a, a great conversation with a friend oh, in the past few weeks who said he downloaded the audio Bible on his phone, and he's just, he's been listening to the Bible at work, and he's able to do that with his job, and more than then he's soaked in the Bible in a long time. He's like, I've gone through Romans and Acts and all these books. That's really cool. We, we want to use these, these gifts of technology to redeem our spiritual lives and our time. Um, for all of us, as we look to the Bible, which is God's word, to see what it means to follow Jesus, God is going to work in our lives and he's going to help us in all sorts of ways, in all areas of our lives, right? And that doesn't always feel good because it requires rooting out ugliness, rooting out sin in us, rooting out wickedness out of our lives and out of our hearts. It might mean being made fun of for following Jesus. But many times, following Jesus does feel really good because even when life hurts, we know that God loves us, is with us, that his promises are rock solid and purchased with his literal body and, and blood on the cross. And that means that we now have a living hope in Jesus Christ. He is risen from the dead. And our hope in God, as well as our efforts to follow God, are grounded upon, only upon this, the finished work of Jesus hear that? So what that means is this. We follow Jesus every day by remembering and believing that Jesus already followed God's law perfectly on our behalf. Did you hear that? As you follow Jesus, you do that knowing that the one who was your substitute already followed God's law perfectly on your behalf. He did that so that we might be forgiven by God united to Jesus through faith, and now receive credit forever for doing what he did. We get the credit for what he accomplished because we've been united to Jesus through faith. What a relief and what a joy it is to follow Jesus now out of love for him and out of love for this great news and not out of fear of being condemned by him. And that is a real fear. We should fear that if we're not in Christ. He is the judge. All judgment has been handed over to me. We're going to meet him. Hebrews 9.27. We're destined to die once and after that to face judgment. We're going to meet Jesus. But for the Christian who trusts in him and surrenders him to him now, Jesus is both the judge and the justifier. Meaning you've already been declared not guilty in the court of God's law. So you don't have to fear that day. Because of Jesus' righteousness, which has been imputed to you, 
You are righteous in God's sight right now. Praise God for that. So Jesus says, don't fret yourselves over what I am doing in other people's lives. You follow me. I want you to love your neighbors. I want you to pray for your neighbors. I want you to be concerned about the well-being of your neighbors. Share the good news of the gospel with your neighbors as, as opportunities arise. But ultimately, entrust your neighbors to God. Entrust your brothers and sisters in Christ to God. Entrust your kids and your grandkids to God. Entrust your parents and your relatives to God. You've got enough issues of your own, and so do I. You don't have time or energy to try to discern what God may or may not be doing in somebody else's life. And we have to remember this as a church family, too. Again, kind of leaning on what we talked about last week, how we, we tend to compare and, and be consumers in churches. We've got to ask this as a church family who has God called us as Cedar Home Baptist Church to be? Right? We're not better than other churches down the road. We're just unique, just like they are. We're totally unique from any other church in our town or in this world because this church, this body of people, is the only church compiled together right now of these people. There's nobody else that is this local church. With, with, its, with your unique backgrounds, your, your unique passions and skills. And so we get to come together and say, how can we work together and minister together and do life together to love the Lord together, to love one another, even when it's hard, and to love our neighbors together, to pass this faith to the next generation and to grow as Jesus' disciples together. That's a privilege. God isn't calling us to be Stanwood Foursquare. Even though I'm friends with pastors there, he's not calling us to be Camino Chapel. I'm friends and we have good relationships with him. Not calling us to be Stanwood Lutheran Church. He's not calling us to be the new church plant down the street. We might feel God leading us to partner with some of them. We might feel God leading us not to partner with other churches. But at the end of the day, we can't spend all our time looking at what other churches are doing or what other pastors or ministries are doing of other churches. Jesus says here, don't look at them. Look at me. I'm not calling you to follow them. I'm not calling you to follow their methods. I'm calling you to follow me. It doesn't matter whether your church has 10 people or 10,000 people. The question is, are you following me? That's the question for our church and for each one of us individually. So whether it's at the church level or the individual level, Jesus tells us to follow him, to follow the commands he's given us already in the Bible. This is the path of spiritual blessing for us. Okay, let's read John 21, 23 to 25. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. After Jesus returned to heaven, he used both Peter and John to expand his kingdom in different ways. 
Peter would end up being a prominent leader in the early church. God would use him to write several books in the New Testament. And eventually, Peter would glorify God through his suffering and death on a cross. And Jesus had a different plan for John. John was a young man when Jesus died and rose again. And Jesus would give John a long life. And Jesus would go on to use John, even in his old age, to write this gospel that we're reading today, as well as a number of other books that we have in the New Testament. And the Holy Spirit led John to write in verse 25 here that Jesus did so many other things not contained in the Bible that if all of those things were written down, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Okay, now think about this. In other words, Jesus, his impact that he made on humanity was not just in time and on this world. He made an eternal, infinite impact on humanity to agree that none of us can grasp. He made such an impact that planet Earth does not have enough space to store all the stories of Jesus' eternal accomplishments for humanity and for all of creation. That's awesome. This is not a small God. This is an awesome eternal God who's too big from this earth. Uh, than this earth, who came outside, from outside the earth to save the sinful world. He's bigger than us. He's bigger than our earth. It's awesome. And his story of redemption is bigger than our earth. But we also know that, uh, that God's story is not finished yet. God tells us in the Bible how it will end. He does say that. With him returning to earth for the final judgment of the physical world and the spiritual world, and like we already talked about, because we are on God's side through faith in Jesus, then Jesus' return is not something that Christians should fear, but we should celebrate and anticipate. Jesus Christ is both a judge and justifier, and the moment that we trust in him, God declares us right then and there not guilty of sin. But until the day that Jesus returns from heaven, this is what he's doing. He's writing in and through our lives more stories of redemption and restoration and freedom in Christ. Remember that, uh, that Jesus told the disciples at the Last Supper, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So for you and me, whatever circumstances you're going through, whatever type of life God has called you to, if you belong to God through faith in Jesus, then you are part of his story of redemption. And as you follow Jesus, he will use you by his grace to start new chapters of his redemption story in your own life and in the lives of other people. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I was thinking about how the Bible is full of so many different people some we know a lot about, some that I just kind of mentioned in passing. And, and the fact is that every one of these people have played a different role in the story of God's redemption. People just like you and me, probably who never even realized how important their words were at the time, how important their actions were at the time, their prayers were at the time, but whose lives God used to make an internal impact bigger than they could have ever imagined. Let's, let me just talk about a few examples from the Bible that we don't always hear about. Do you remember Lois and Eunice? 
They were Timothy's grandma and mom. Timothy was one of the Apostle Paul's main disciples. And Timothy's dad was not a believer in God, in God at all. Timothy did not have a Christian dad to teach him about God or to model the Christian faith for him. But Timothy's grandma, Lois, and Timothy's mom, Eunice, taught Timothy the scriptures and pointed him to the Lord. And Timothy went on to be an important Christian leader. So grandparents and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and older cousins, don't underestimate the spiritual influence that you can have on your relatives. And if you help with children's ministry at Cedar Home in any way, then don't underestimate the importance of what you are doing. Last Sunday was the last week of Sunday school for the school year. And so thank you to Linda Doty and Rick Doty and Matt Daniels and Mike Funderburg and Joy Fackenthal for your faithfulness this year in teaching our kids every week. Amen? And if you're here today, and maybe you feel kind of like Timothy, you don't really have a godly role model to lead you a godly role model of the same gender, this church is a great place to find one. Young people need godly mentors, and older people need people to mentee or mentor. They need godly mentees. These types of discipleship relationships in the church are so healthy and mutually beneficial. That's what I found. In all the intentional discipleship relationships I've been with, they're life-giving on either end whether you're the one kind of mentoring somebody or you're being mentored. These are the kind of relationships we we want to pursue in the church. Secondly, do you remember um, Ananias of Damascus? He's the Christian man who Jesus appeared to, and he instructed, I want you to go lay hands on Saul, the one who's here to murder you. (laughs) Go to him. Yeah, he's murdered a lot of Christians. He's here to murder Christians. You're a Christian. Go, Go lay your hands on him and pray for him. And it was through Ananias that Paul did this, or Ananias did this. It was through this uh, Ananias' faithfulness that Paul was physically healed from his blindness, and Paul received the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus. So by following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, Ananias, we don't know much more about him, but he was a crucial part of the story that God was writing of Paul's salvation and ministry. What about Barnabas, the encourager? We know a little bit about Barnabas, but I don't know much about what he was good at, except that we know he was an encouragement to, this, to the Christians. Can you imagine having that one written in? There are some titles given to people in the Bible you don't want to be remembered by. This is a good one, the encourager. Now, what a great thing to be known for. And God can use you to be an encouragement to other people, to your family and to your friends and to your church. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? What about, this is one of my favorites, the Christians in Macedonia. We don't even know many of their names, but we know that they did not have much money. That's what we know about them. And we read in 2 Corinthians 8 that they did this. They begged Paul to take the money they did have so that they could send relief to other Christians who needed basic necessities of life. Is that awesome? They urged him. They were one of the most generous churches, and they were one of the most poor. And this is what it means for you and me. As long as we have one penny, then we too can take part in the joyful work of sending help and relief to others so that they might stay alive to hear and believe the gospel and spread the gospel where they live. 
And because of those poor Christians in Macedonia and their radical generosity, we are still talking about them today. This is what we're trying to do as a church as we raise money to build some wells in Swaziland, Africa. A couple more. What about King Josiah? Eight years old. A boy who changed the entire world because he demanded that God's people return to the word of God and obey God. They were cleaning, they were cleaning the temple. They were cleaning it. And they found the scrolls. He's like, where have these been? What is this? And he took all the people and he said, Let's, we're going to read this together. This is our God. How have we forgotten him? Everybody, destroy your idols. We need to return to the Lord. Guys, some of the most radical and significant things done in God's kingdom have been done by children. That's the truth. So if you're a kid a young person today, put your faith in Jesus, turn your life to Jesus. He will use you in amazing ways to do things bigger than you could ever do on your own. Don't you want God to do that with your life? (laughs) And finally, I'll just mention this. What about Mary Magdalene? This was a woman with a rough past that God used in huge ways. She was a woman, what we know about her, she was possessed by seven demons. Seven, not one. Seven. Seven demons battling it out inside of her. But Jesus cast those demons out of her, and he saved her. And Mary Magdalene went on to be one of the most faithful disciples Jesus ever had. Even when most of the other men ran away during Jesus' trial, Mary Magdalene was one of the only ones who stood at Jesus' feet while he hung upon the cross. John, John was there, but the rest was a a few women. And then on the third day, who was the first one Jesus appeared to? Mary Magdalene. Just like God changed these people's lives and worked in their lives to, to make an impact for his kingdom, God can do the exact same thing through you. Just keep following him. That's what he says. Follow me. Keep reading his word. Keep asking the Holy Spirit to help you love others to love the Lord, to trust Jesus, to put into practice what God's word says. Keep praying. Keep praying for yourself and and for your family. You don't have to be a, you don't have to have a degree in prayer, okay? I don't either. Just talk to God. You're talking to the God of the universe, so be respectful, right? But talk to him. He loves you. He's with you. Jesus uses your prayers to make a bigger eternal difference in our physical world and our spiritual world than we can begin to understand. That's why the New Testament and the Bible as a whole tells us over and over and over, pray, 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 pray. This makes a difference. This is part of how God is writing his story of redemption in our world. And may God help us not to compare ourselves to everybody else, but simply to keep our eyes on Jesus and to try to be obedient to what he's called us to do. And then leave the rest in his hands and to trust him with that. So much easier said than done, but this is what we, we, we want to keep praying for and aiming for because trusting Jesus and following Jesus is how God created us to live at full capacity. It is the path of greatest spiritual blessing for us, even, even though we will encounter many trials and tribulations in this life. But because of the hope we have for our future, because of the work 
that Jesus has already finished in the past. We can abide in Jesus and depend on Jesus every day as we seek to bring him glory for the fame of his name and for our own lives, for the sake of our own joy in our lives. As a, as a symbol of our spiritual union with Christ, we want to take the Lord's Supper together today. So if you're so, serving the Lord's Supper together, you can come forward now. <clears throat> on Jesus' last night on earth, he, he gave us this ordinance of communion to partake in together as a church family until he returns and the bread that we'll take symbolizes Jesus' body, which became our sin, was broken on our behalf in order to suffer the eternal punishment our sins deserve. And the cup that we'll take symbolizes the blood of Jesus, which was shed to forgive us, to reconcile us, to bring us back to God and to give us peace with God. Different churches take communion different ways, but we'll pass out the elements one at a time and take them all together. And if you trusted in Jesus as your Lord, we invite you to partake in communion with us. And if you're just not there, please keep having conversations about this with whoever you came with or with me or somebody. This is the most important decision you'll ever make, what you believe about Jesus Christ.